We're going to be in 1 Samuel chapter 13 and 14. If you didn't bring a Bible, that is okay because the scriptures are going to be right up here. But if you did bring a Bible and you want to follow along, 1 Samuel 13 and 14. We've been in a series called Move, and this will be the, the last uh, lesson in that series. And what we're going to talk about this morning is really moving from... Um, Moving into dangerous faith. Moving into a place where we're going beyond just believing God as my Savior and kind of almost, and we can admit that we do this, it's okay. God is kind of my lucky charm. And moving into a place where we trust God for things that are extraordinary. We serve an extraordinary God. We talk about how much we love God. We talk about how many things that God does and can do for us. And I believe it's time that we just take that next step, that, that next move, and move into a place where we have a little dangerous faith. Would that be okay? The risk that we take in building and living out a relationship with God is a dangerous relationship. He will mess you up, but in the best way possible. We don't succumb to fear, but respond to the call of God, compelling us to risk it all. To have a dangerous faith, to believe that God will do what He says that He will do. <laughs> When we get to the end, I'll give you an opportunity to pray about dangerous faith. And let me just pre-warn you. Don't ever pray any of these prayers. Just, hey, everybody else is praying it, so I'll stand up and pray it too. Uh, especially when you start saying, God, give me dangerous faith. Because you know what? He answers these prayers. And if you're going to have dangerous faith, there may, there may be an opportunity to truly trust God in a dangerous way. Right? I mean, we, we, we pray for people all the time. and you know, what's, what's, what's God say? Oh, I'll do anything for God. I'll do anything for God. I'll do anything for God. Okay, why don't you sell everything you have? Give it to God and follow Him. That's scriptural, you know. I'd do anything for God. Oh, well, I can't do that. <laughs> we start praying these prayers. Lord, give me dangerous faith. He's going to give you an opportunity to live that dangerous faith. So the first thing that you have to understand, that to have dangerous faith, that, that God is not afraid of war. God is not afraid of war. God is not afraid of situations that would cause us to war in the spirit realm. You understand what I'm talking about? When, when I'm throwing out these words, I don't want to speak a lot of Christianese. But we, we look at the God of the Old Testament, and we think sometimes that He is different from the God of the New Testament. But you know what? The Word says that God never changes. God's war has always been about the redemption of people. It was in the Old Testament. It is in the New Testament. 
We're told in Ephesians chapter 6 that we don't fight against flesh and blood. We don't fight against people. But against principalities and powers. Against the, the, the evil forces. The demonic world. Where has God's war always been? It's never been against people. God's war has never been against people. It's always been against the demonic forces. God's not afraid of war. In fact, in the, the Old Testament, the, the, a name for God is the God of hosts. And when I used to read that, I would think, you know, hey, he's the Lord of hosts. He's the God. That means he's just the Lord of a whole bunch of people. And then I found out that that term host means armies. And do you know that term, Lord of hosts, or God of armies, is used to, to name God more than any other covenant name of God. It's used almost 300 times. God is not afraid of war. God is not afraid of the fight. And we have to understand that. That if we're going to pray for dangerous faith, we're going to believe God for dangerous faith, there's probably going to be something that we get to use our faith for. And it'll probably be dangerous. What do you mean dangerous? You know, like uh, spy stuff or something like that. No, it's going to be whatever is dangerous for you. It's the next step for you. Because you know every step that you take for God is dangerous to the enemy. Every move that you make for God is dangerous to the enemy because every step you take closer to God, he loses. You step more into who God created you to be. That's dangerous to the enemy. That is dangerous to the enemy. So to have dangerous faith, we have to understand that there will be war. Is everybody in 1 Samuel? That was just a little... Teaser there. Everybody in 1 Samuel? So the second thing you have to understand is to have dangerous faith that you can't be moved by circumstances. Wouldn't it be awesome if every time we had to do something for God that it was completely laid out for us, that we never had to think about it, that we never had to fight through anything, that we never had to deal with fear, that we never had to deal with worry, that we never had to deal with anything. That would be awesome, wouldn't it? That's called heaven. <laughs> we'll get there. But we live here right now, right? I want you to look at something. We're just going to jump through a few of these scriptures. 1 Samuel 13, verse 2. says, Now Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. People were looking up there and smiling. I was like, what's, you know, they're putting pictures of me when I was a child or something up there. Now Saul chose for himself 3,000 men of Israel. 3,000, that sounds like a bunch of people, doesn't it? Yeah. But look at verse 5. Now the Philistines assembled to fight with Israel. 30,000 chariots. 6,000 horsemen. And people like the sand which is on the seashore in abundance. Think we're outnumbered. Might that cause us to stop and have a bit of worry? 
Have you ever looked at the circumstances and go, uh, it looks pretty big. God, it looks like there's a bunch of them. But guess what? It gets even better. Drop down to verse 19. There were no blacksmiths in the land of Israel in those days. The Philistines wouldn't allow them for fear that they would make swords and spears for the Hebrews. Verse 22 says, So on the day of battle, say on the day of battle, on the day of battle, none of the people of Israel had a sword or a spear except Saul and Jonathan. How awesome has this situation become now? I got 3,000 guys out here and they don't have any weapons. The bad guys have got chariots, they've got horses, and they've got so many people that I can't even count them. And I got 3,000 guys standing around picking their nose. They don't even have any weapons. Could this get any better? That's a rough looking circumstance, right? Have you ever felt outnumbered and ill-equipped for spiritual battle? Everybody in here should be going, uh-huh. Yes, I have. But guess what? That's a great place to be. Because that's when we begin to realize it's not us. That's when we begin to realize, God, I can't do this on my own. Because if I could do it on my own, I probably would have done it on my own. And I would tell everybody how I did it on my own. I would pat myself on the back. But we always will find our... You start asking God for dangerous faith, you're going to find yourself in a place where you cannot do it. You can't do it on your own. Hannah and I were having a conversation uh, last week. I'm not trying to expose anything. But she just started saying, I, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I'm ready to go spend a year on the mission field. I don't know if I'm ready for this. And I go, that's the best place to be. That is the best place to be. Because when we think we've got it all figured out, when we think that we've done enough to, to make it all good, we're probably about to stumble. <laughs> but when we begin to say, God, I don't know if I can do this. God, I don't know if I can do this. God, I don't know if I can do this. So a scripture over in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 that says when we are weak, when we are weak, Amen. that's when he's strong. That's when we see his strength. When we realize how weak we really are. I can't do this, Lord. Whew, but you can. Paul goes on to say in that scripture, I glory in my weakness. Could you come to that place? I glory in my weakness. I glory in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, he is strong. I remember in the year 2000, I got the opportunity to go to Africa for a few weeks. And that was right in the middle of my self-imposed hiatus from God. <laughs> from church, from people. And I was going over there really to shoot a documentary for a mission group. But I got over there and so many people started coming to the, to the events that we were doing. And we were, we were in this 
think third world country and, and then subtract three, okay? We were so, there, there, there was, wow. And these people had never heard the gospel before. They didn't know about Jesus. We got to be the first people to go in there. And I'm just sitting there. Of course, I'm crying. You know, I know that God's wanting to deal with me and my hurt and all this type of stuff. But so many people started responding to the messages that they looked over at me and said, put the camera down and start praying for people. <laughs> okay, I was not prepared. I did not feel prepared for this. Why? Because God and I were not on the best terms at the moment. You ever been there? You ever been in a place where you're going, God, I know, I know you're there. I know I'm supposed to love you, but I'm not happy with you right now. That's kind of where I was. So I put the camera down. And I started praying for people. And, and there was this one man who, I know got something. Because <laughs> he came up to me. And we're praying. And remember... This, this, this is so third world that to even find a doctor is amazing. And we're back in the bush where they would have to travel hours to even get to uh, any real population. And they called everything a fever. But when they started talking about having a fever, it was deadly. And I remember standing there, and this man walked up to me. And you could tell he was ill. And through an interpreter, he says, I have the fever. And this realization came over me. God, if you don't do something, this man will probably die. I get to go back to America. I, get, I got a bunch of shots before I came over here, and I got pills I got to take before I go back to keep me from catching any of this. But if you don't show up, God, this man will probably die. And I prayed for him. I don't remember what I prayed. It was probably a very weak prayer. But I just prayed for him. And then I went on. And a few days later, we were doing another crusade in another village. And this man came in a boat with some other people to come out there to this crusade. And he came up to me. And with the interpreter, he said, I had a fever, but when you prayed for me, God healed me. Amen. Praise God. And then he wanted to hold my hand. <laughs> because in their culture, the highest honor that one man could show another man is to hold his hand. So I got to walk around this village holding this man's hand. But I'm telling you that story because there was nothing. I was weak. I was weak. I'm not saying we don't ever come to a place of, of real trust in God, knowing that God will do things through us. But an understanding that, that even when I don't feel like I'm on, even when I don't feel like I got it, God's always on. God's always got it. The next thing, to have dangerous faith. We must realize that we have to put the kingdom first.
We have to put the kingdom first. God is looking for a, a, a group of people, a generation of people. That our faith doesn't stop at the back door of the church. But it invades everything that we do. Every ounce of our being. And we begin to partner with God in such a way that it doesn't even seem to make sense to people. How many times, and, and as a pastor, I've seen this many times, that uh, somebody gets a job and they'll move somewhere for that job. Well, of course, God is blessing me. I'm going to make $20,000 more a year. But do we ever stop and ask God, what's best for the kingdom? Now, it may be best for you that you make more money, but is it best for the kingdom? What's best for the kingdom? Maybe, be, maybe best for the kingdom is you staying right where you are because there is somebody that is going to come to salvation through you right where you are. I'm not saying God can't bless you and move you. That's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is how many times do we ask the question, God, what's best for the kingdom? Amen. Lord, what's best? I know what I want to do. I know what would make me happy. God's not opposed to you being happy. But what's best for the kingdom? Is it best to move? Is it best to move on? Or is it best to stay right where you are? There's family in this church right now that he got a, offered a much better job. Making much better money. It was in Dallas. And he did take the job. But you know what? They didn't move to Dallas. Why? And this is their words. God has not released us from New Covenant. What's best for the kingdom? So he commutes. That's a long drive. What's best for the kingdom? What's best for the kingdom? The kingdom that God wants to establish in you. The kingdom of God that is in you and coming through you. What's best for the kingdom? There was a, a missionary back in the 1850s that... It was a, a man whose, whose heart just, for some reason, began to burn for Korea. Missionaries had not been going into Korea at this time. But his heart began to burn for Korea. And everybody told him, don't go, don't do that. But in his heart, he knew that him going to Korea was best for the kingdom. And he took a ship, and he got to Korea, and he chartered a boat, 
that would take him up this river to the place where he believed that the Lord was sending him. And he got on the boat and they got up the river and it was attacked by pirates and the man was killed. Well, that's a great story. <laughs> Thanks for encouraging us, Pastor Chris. The only thing that the man took with him besides just a few possessions was several cases of Bibles that had been translated into the Korean language. Some years later, after the man had been killed and everybody back home was going to say, we told him not to go. Guess what? You're going to have those. People are going to, I told you. I told you not to do it. I told you not to be dangerous for God. You ever heard of those people that say, just don't, don't mess with the devil and he won't mess with you. Guess what? He's going to mess with you. Some years after this man had been martyred, some other missionaries went into Korea. And they kept hearing about the, the word house. The word house? What do you mean? Well, it's the house where the words of God are written on the walls. What do you mean? So these missionaries went to this word house. One of those pirates had taken those cases of Bibles and used them just to decorate the walls of his house. <laughs> and then he started reading them. And he started inviting other people to read them. And people started giving their lives to God, reading the Bibles on the wall. Amen. See, our definition of success and God's definition of success can be miles apart at times. Think about Korea today. Some of the largest churches in the Christian world are in South Korea. Some of the strongest prayer movements that have ever come out of the, the church has come out of South Korea. Why? Because there was one man. I'm not saying he got on that boat going, oh, I hope I die. But he was willing to be dangerous for God. Amen? Yes. All right. Now that was just the intro, so let's get into the... <laughs> and this really is my last point, but this is where we're going to spend the, the, the last bit of our time. To have dangerous faith, we have to be willing to encounter the enemy. Look again at 1 Samuel. Turn to uh, chapter 14. Starting in verse 6, and I'm reading out of the New Living Translation just, just because I can. So remember how I set this up. There's only two swords in the whole army. Jonathan's got one of them. There's no other swords. Greatly outnumbered. What should they do? Well, this is what Jonathan does. He says, let's go across to the outpost of those pagans. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, perhaps the Lord will help us. For nothing can hinder the Lord. 
He can win a battle whether he has many warriors or a few warriors. I want you to see something here. Not one time in any of this scripture, if you read verse 1 in chapter 14, I like the way it says, one day, one day Jonathan said, just one day he wakes up and goes, hey, let's go where the enemy is. No prophet showed up and said, thus saith the Lord, thou shalt doest this. Right? Doesn't say that he had a dream where God came and said, hey, go do this. Right? This is where danger's faith starts to separate itself from just sitting on Sunday morning faith. He didn't have a clear direction from God, but he saw a clear need. That's right. He saw a clear need... And he was just dangerous enough with his belief in God to say, hey, let's go over there and see what happens. God hadn't promised him anything. Let's just go over there and see what happens. I see so many people that sit. One of these days, God... One of these days, God, one of these days you're going to use me. One of these days you're going to do something awesome through me. One of these days, God. Remember the scripture that Roger started this whole service off with. This is the day. Amen. This is the day that the Lord has made. Sometimes we're just going to have to say, Hey, let's go over there and get in the enemy's business. Let's go across the river. Let's go over there. Let's just go see what God will do. So he decides to do this. I met a lady one time. Uh, I was in Switzerland. And I'm, I wish I could remember this lady's name. I've tried for years to, to figure out who it is. But... Uh, I, I, I met her at this, uh, this Europe-wide youth thing that, that, that we went to. And she was English. And she was telling the story. She was a missionary in Hong Kong. And she was telling the story of how she got to Hong Kong. She said that when she was saved, she just had this heart to do something for God. And she knew that it, it wasn't necessarily in England. She just wanted to go somewhere. But every time she would ask somebody about it, they'd say, well, where has God called you to go? I don't know. Well, uh, have you gone to school and done all these things? Nothing wrong with school. No. And they would all tell her, and they'd pat her on her little head, well, you go to school. You go connect with a mission organization. You go find out, you know... She just kept getting shot down. And she finally ran into this old preacher. And she told him her story. I just, I just, I just want to go. I know God is calling me to go. And he said, honey. Well, he probably didn't say honey because he was English. What, what, what did they say? Lassie, dearie. <laughs> I'm, I'm asking our resident English person here. 
He said, you take all the money that you have and you buy a ticket as far away from here as possible. And let that be where God is sending you. And she realized that she had enough money for a one-way ticket to Hong Kong. So she decided to go to Hong Kong. She decided to say, hey, let's just go see if God will do anything. This doesn't even make sense, does it? How many of you are sitting out here going, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That preacher should be shot and flogged, sending this poor little girl halfway across the world. She got off the plane in Hong Kong. I guess it never occurred to her that she needed to know somebody in the city. <laughs> she didn't know anybody in Hong Kong. So the first day she's there, she doesn't even know where to go. She doesn't have any friends. So she starts wandering around. And she finds herself in, in the seedier parts of town. And she meets a prostitute. And she leads the prostitute to the Lord that very first day. She moves in with that lady. And they start a ministry to the prostitutes in Hong Kong. That's dangerous faith. Right? Well, that's good for somebody. What if it's good for all of us? What if it's good for all of us? Verse 7. His armor bearer said to him, Do all that is in your heart. Do all that is in your heart. What's in your heart? What are your God dreams? What are your God dreams? He's got dreams for you. What are your God dreams? It'll take dangerous faith to see it come to pass. What is that dream inside of you that goes, one of these days, one of these days, one of these days, one of these days. What is your God dream? What does God want to do in you and through you? It's probably not going to be normal. It's like I said at the beginning, God will mess you up. It's in a good way, but God will mess you up. He'll take all of your plans and just mess them up. They usually bring you all the way back around to the same place and you realize those dreams were God's anyway. I used to tell the youth all the time, what did you want to be? Or I'd ask them. This is a question, not a statement. What did you want to be when you were a kid? What did you want to be when you were a kid? What did they want to be? All the boys wanted to be superheroes or pro athletes. Right? All the girls wanted to be princesses. What if that was the closest to God's dream that we ever get? And understand the way that I'm saying that. That it takes childlike faith to be who God called us to be. What if what we are knowing from the time that we're children is really the God calling, screaming out of us? I'm called to be something great. Amen. I don't know how to express it. Because what we look at is great pro athletes or, or superheroes or princesses or firemen or Tyrannosaurus Rex. Whatever it is. They never say, oh, I think I just want to work at, you know, Walmart for a minimum wage. 
right? Nobody ever said, what's your dreams? It's always something great, isn't it? It's always something great. God has great dreams for you. God has great dreams for you. And just like the armor bearer, God's saying, do all that's in your heart. Do all that's in your heart. Verse 8. All right then, Jonathan told him, we will cross over and let them see us. We'll cross over and let them see us. If they say to us, stay where you are or we'll kill you, then we'll stop and not go up to them. But if they say, come on up and fight, then we'll go up. That will be God's sign that he will help us defeat them. Now, I've never been in the military. So this is just an educated guess. I wouldn't say that's great military strategy. Can I ask our, 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 our regiment? <laughs> okay. Let's cross over and the first thing we're going to do is let them know we're there. Take away all the surprise. And what did they do? I mean, this is just the way my mind, you know, ooh, hey, Philistines. We are here. <laughs> now, if they, if they say you stay there, which is probably the safest place they're going to be that day, is down there. I guess God's not into it. But if God makes it really hard, if they say, hey, y'all come up here, we know we got them. What do the Philistines do? They call them up. They call them up. Verse 12. It says, Then the men from the outpost shouted to Jonathan, Come up here and we'll teach you a lesson. Come on, cl climb. Right behind me, Jonathan said to his armor bearer, For the Lord will help us defeat them. So they climbed up using both hands and feet. You know, sometimes faith isn't always easy. Even though for the first time in all of this, Jonathan has finally got a sign that God is going, yeah, go ahead, do this. It still wasn't easy. It says that he had to climb up on his hands and his feet. In other words, it was so steep, he's having to climb. That can be pretty dangerous. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer. They killed some 20 men in all, and their bodies were scattered over about half an acre. Suddenly, panic broke out in the Philistine army, both in the camp and in the field, including even the outposts and the raiding parties. And just then an earthquake struck and everybody was terrified. Notice, God did not show up and save them until they stepped out in dangerous faith. Until they decided, I'm tired of the enemy raiding my camp. 
I'm tired of the enemy stealing from me. Are you tired of the enemy stealing from you? Are you tired of the enemy stealing joy from you? Are you tired of the enemy stealing peace from you? Are you tired of the enemy stealing financially from you? Health-wise? Whatever it is. Guess what? He came to steal, kill, and destroy. Are you tired of the enemy stealing? Well, it may be time to go attack his camp.